It's series three of the Artists in Residence podcast and we are chuffed to have you with us. Last series we spoke to the likes of It's Nice That senior editor, the co-founder of Inner City Swim Club Swim Dem crew and the filmmaker behind the remake of Christina Aguilera's iconic beautiful music video about what it meant to them to use creativity for good as well as to share real examples of how people are acting on those good ideas and turning them into action. My name is Isabel Wilkinson and I started this project as a way to personally answer some big questions I had about creativity, problem solving, art and who creative opportunities are available to. My goal is to bring people together to share their ideas and work together to drive forward solutions to the big issues affecting people and the planet. When it comes to the hardest questions, consider this your invitation to join the table and create answers because together we can all be artists in residence. Samia Dunboy is a facilitator, community organiser and climate justice activist who's been campaigning and organising for social, climate and racial justice since she was a teenager. Samia has been a key collaborator on the Natural History Museum's Explorer Programme, an initiative that encourages communities of colour to pursue opportunities in geoscience, ecology and environmental science. On Thursday 26th of January, that collaboration will result in an evening of education and learning at the Natural History Museum called Mind, Body and Space. In this conversation, we spoke about Samir's work, intersectionality, data and how we display it, and a political education community called Seize the Vote that Samir created with their friends. We covered burnout in activism, joy as a form of resistance, and the role social media plays in social change. I hope you find this conversation informative, and I hope it inspires you to connect with your own community on causes you're passionate about. Enjoy. Thank you so much for inviting me. My name is Samia Dumboya. I'm 26 years old. I was born and raised in East London, specifically Newham. Um, I always like to highlight that I'm from there just because it's just important for me to provide background and context to where I live. And Newham is like a special place, but unfortunately, socio and economically, it's one of the poorest uh, and low-income neighbourhoods in the whole of the UK. But the beautiful side of Newham is that it has residents that speak over 160 languages. Uh, migrants come there, my parents were refugees, and that shapes who I am today and how I approach things. I'm a climate justice activist, and I like to connect social issues with environmental issues just because I think they can't be in isolation. I think you do an injustice if you separate the two. And I've come across different groups and individuals who may have some opposite opinions to that. But part of my work is just making sure that people see the links just because I think you leave out marginalized communities uh, when you don't recognize those intersections. So yeah, I've been on a journey. I've mainly campaigned around environmental injustices that occur in marginalized spaces. So I started out as an air pollution activist uh, in East London. Me and my friends started Our Air, Our Health, uh, which was a campaign lobbying uh, local council to do better uh, in terms of reducing air pollution in their neighborhoods, but also doing more community engagement with the people that actually reside in those areas. And then after that, I kind of just went into different spaces and joined different collectives, such as Young Friends of the Earth Europe, 
where I just wanted to connect with people beyond my regular spaces. So I'm friends with people across Europe. I'm friends with people in Serbia, Cyprus, Turkey, Macedonia. And it's just important for me to have contacts from other countries because we all share similar struggles. And I think you get a lot more out of those spaces when you exchange knowledge and skills with each other and it feels better to know that there's other people fighting this elsewhere and currently I'm I guess I'm a community engagement officer in a way I'm trying to find a pristine title but essentially I'm just someone who likes to create spaces for people to engage with topics around the climate crisis And that's kind of where I am right now with Natural History Museum with this collaboration because I want people to access it through non-traditional means where I feel like the topic of climate can be just very stiff, very boring, stocked up with facts, statistics that doesn't really align with how people want to learn about this topic. So I'm all about just experimenting with how people can taking this information and then go out in the world and do something with it. I don't want to be a replication of school systems where I'm in a room and I'm just talking at someone. I want people to play games. I want people to have discussions with each other. I want people to be playful with the topic. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at um, in this year of 2023. What does creativity mean to you within your work? So for context, my background, I studied geography at university, but I've always wanted to do a creative topic. But I think you know how the story goes, like your parents may not be too into it, or I just didn't have the confidence to take the creative path because I just felt I wasn't worthy of being a creative. Hmm. But that didn't mean that creativity left my life. So I've always been the person in spaces where there's meant to be rigid science and research where I wanted to be creative with it. So when I look at data, I will try and experiment with how we can display it. Like, can we make bar graphs more colorful, more graphic, more illustrative? And that's something that I've always liked doing. But sometimes in the community, science community, that can be taken as someone who doesn't take things too seriously. Creativity to me just means that you're playing with different forms, methods and tools to communicate a message. I love meeting with artists who can take a narrative or take a statistic, a fact or whatever it is, manipulate it into something that's visual or like they can transfer it into a sound. There's so much potential when you allow creativity to come into your space. And creativity allows messaging to be accessible because sometimes when I've been in spaces where people communicate about the climate crisis, they've got this presentation filled with lots of bar graphs, lots of charts, and people just staring at it like, what does this actually mean? And when I create spaces, I don't want people to leave the room questioning what am I supposed to do with this what does this mean for me Mm. I want people to leave a space and be like okay I totally understood that and here's how I'm going to deal with the information once I leave this room so creativity is a great way to just allow the playing field to be leveled 
And I think it's a great way to make sure that your spaces are equitable and you're not excluding anyone from the conversation. Right, because what's the point of having all of this scientific fact and all this data if you can't communicate that in a way, like tell the story in a way that hits people and resonates with people where they are? Exactly. To speak specifically about your recent collaboration with the Natural History Museum, you're collaborating with them to put on an event that is very soon to come to life. So what's that project about and and how did it come to life? Uh, So yeah, my work will always entail collaborations just because climate justice itself is about having a collective of voices and efforts um into a project like whenever I take climate justice projects I don't like it when it's just about oh yeah like one person one voice it has to be a myriad of voices just because we need to reflect the world that we live in today and show how colorful and diverse it is so with Natural History Museum um it was honestly just by recommendation Um, to collaborate with them. So I'm collaborating with them with other scientists, activists, and creatives. And essentially, we just pulled together a program where we're going to explore what climate justice means uh, through the lens of body, mind, and space. And with body, it's going to be about looking at the relationship between our bodies and the air quality that surrounds us because some people don't really note the relationship they have with air. And unfortunately, there's a really sad statistic that each year in London, 10,000 people die from air pollution. And this is something that we want to communicate through interactive activities. And we have a scientist on the team that's helped with the visuals, um, just bringing that to life to show how severe this issue is And then with MIND, um, they're going to talk about the different sensories that are activated when in nature. So looking at your taste, touch, smell. It's going to be an interesting evening where I think people will have the opportunities to be interactive in really cool, creative ways. And I'm really excited to see it play out in the space that is the Natural History Museum because you're gonna have these activities take place. But then in the background, you're gonna see like a rhinosaurus in the background. It's such an iconic building, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It sounds amazing and also so shocking. What a shocking statistic that as you rightly say, I don't think the majority of people are aware that that number is so high. What has been the kind of the biggest challenge or your biggest challenge in working on that project? Um, To be honest, I don't think there's been many challenges because I think everyone has the same vision. Everyone has the same hopes and goals. When people work on climate justice, we all have this shared vision where we just want to raise awareness on certain issues and topics. So everyone's just like, yeah, like, We can't wait to occupy this space and make sure that the audience leaves knowing more about what climate justice actually is. And I guess like a tedious challenge will just be that we're working with so many people across the board and it's hard to schedule meetings with people. So that's been like a challenge. 
But I think we've overcame that because we just get what we want to do. It's been really cool to work with scientists and just be like, here's how you want to communicate this. Here's how you want to execute the plan. And everyone's like, yep, correct. Like, this Mm -hmm. is how we're going to do it. And everyone just gets on with it because we're all like experts um, in this topic. And it's just been really good to be surrounded by people who've come in with different perspectives. Like I previously mentioned, we have scientists, activists and creatives and everyone's just bringing in their own little niche skills and interests into the space. And I think that's built up such a beautiful program and I can't wait for the public to see that. Something I read on your website, you describe yourself as a climate justice activist, as as we've discussed, but you have a... Mm interesting perspective on the word activist that I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about uh yeah sure I feel like this is a conversation I've been having with myself for over five years now I think for me an activist is someone who takes intentional action to better their community their society and I think sometimes when we hear the word activist especially on the news we feel like It's just the people who block roads, people who protest. And it's like, no, activism takes so many different forms. Like you may think it's a small action, but it's actually a big action. So for instance, like going to your local food bank and volunteering from time to time is being an activist. Mm. Going to an elderly home and making sure that elderly patients feel catered to and cared for maybe like once a month, that is being an activist. I think people have in their heads that you have to do this bold, big, grand gesture. And it's like, no, activism just means caring for your community, especially in a time where you're not really permitted the time or space to partake in those activities because people have really long working jobs, Mm. long hour working jobs, people have children people have other things that they have to take care of so it's hard to take carve out some time and just say hey this is how I'm going to contribute to my community sometimes we shouldn't focus too heavy on the word activist and just focus on the good deeds that people are doing I think we need to celebrate that more because right now I, I don't think we celebrate that enough And I think we should celebrate the things that we see on own neighborhoods and support people who are doing these things already. There's so many unsung heroes who aren't appreciated enough just because they don't have a social media page. Um, They may be introverted. They may not be good at talking um, to the cameras. So I think it's just important to step out in your community and see who the unsung heroes are. As you say, these good deeds, these getting into your local community, supporting your own community, that seems like things that you've been doing for as long as you've been around. So I wondered if you could tell us about a few of the things that you've done in the past. So I know that you're the co-founder of Seize the Vote, and obviously you've already mentioned um, the project you worked on campaigning against local pollution. Could you tell us a little bit about those? So Seize the Vote was basically created by me and my friends. We went off to universities and we realized our peers who grew up in more affluent areas had access to better political education. And we just thought, hey, we're always talking about politics in our group chats. 
why not make this a thing where create a space for other people like us, especially young people of color, and just create space for people to feel politically engaged and also politically empowered and aware of what the political situation is um, in the UK. So, and we also noted that the political education we received was not the greatest. And that's not the fault of the school system, um, the schools that we went to, especially. I think it's the fault of teachers are being overworked and there's just too much to address, um, especially when school resources are finite. And that was a common thing in the neighborhoods that we grew up in. So essentially, Seize the Vote is just providing a space for those people to talk about current affairs and just talking about what we can do as individuals or as a collective um, to politically empower ourselves. Unfortunately, we had to take a break during the pandemic because as a group, we just felt burnt out. Mm. But we will be having an event on the 25th of February or the 26th. I wish I remembered. It's either the 25th or the 26th. I'll post on my social media. But we're relaunching because we just feel like a lot has happened politically, but people haven't had the space to fully digest or talk it through with anyone. We've been stuck on Twitter or Instagram. And I think so much more comes out of political discussions when they happen in real life. Absolutely. And I mean, we've had so many prime ministers (laughs) since the pandemic. Exactly. just mentioned burnout and I wonder obviously there's a lot of talk about burnout in activism and burnout and in talking about the climate crisis how do you manage that alongside all of this amazing work that you're doing so I'm quite a militant person when it comes to resting and taking breaks I think as people that are mission-led where you're always constantly thinking about how can I contribute to making the world a better place. We feel that it justifies sacrificing our free time and our mental health because we look back at the awesome activists who created lots of changes in our present society and we're like, oh my God, they did this. They sacrificed their well-being for us. So we have to do the same. And it's like, that's actually not true. People forget that the individuals we celebrate, for example, like Angela Davis, Martin Luther King Jr., they had a collective and a movement behind them. They still had spaces for joy. And I think it's important to always reiterate and emphasize to people like joy is a form of resistance. We live in a very extractive system where you're kind of just I don't want to use the word force, but you're kind of just pushed to constantly work, 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 work. And you barely have any space for joy. And it's like that can burn you out so quickly. And our movements should not be filled with people who are burnt out. We need movements filled with energized um, people who do want to create the change, but also recognize their own humanity. The world that we're trying to build tomorrow is a world that we envision where people are energized doing the things they want to do like spending their time with their family their friends taking time doing hobbies that bring them energy that sustain them like we want a world where we don't want people just seen as tools of labor we want people to be people 
And as activists, we need to practice that in our own practices, like on a weekly basis. I know that's easier said than done because I think when you go through school, university, and just like in life in general, these structures are kind of just like pushing us to constantly work. And we just need to take a step back and be like, well, what good am I when my cup is empty? Like, what good am I when I'm burnt out, when I feel negative, when I feel depressed, when I feel angry? So when I come close to that edge, I just simply take a step back and I feel reassured that the work I'm doing is also done by thousands and millions of other people. It's not just me. So I think um, assessing your ego in this is quite important because some people be like oh my god if I leave this undone like everything's it's all gonna fall apart exactly (laughs) which is is important to feel that you are adding something really valuable to the table but as you say rest is actually a really revolutionary act in these systems and what does rest look like for you what does joy look like for you It's going to be really basic, but literally just chilling in the living room with my friends and just catching up with them. So I have friends who I've known since primary school and secondary school, and we literally just play games, chill, watch some movies together. Um, But also I do like going to museums and galleries and just taking in the world around me Mm -hmm. gives me joy because the things as humans we have accomplished is quite admirable and I don't know it comforts me when I go to museums and I see artists doing cool stuff I'm like wow like I bet you just brainstormed that on a Tuesday afternoon and here it is on a museum wall so yeah it just brings me comfort to see other people's creations I yeah couldn't agree more and I and I think with artists in residence we talk a lot about people taking their ideas for how to make things better so coming up with solutions to big or small issues that they're they're personally facing but something that is also deeply rooted in the community is the idea that art for the sake of art also has a really valuable part to play in us solving those issues it is an expression of joy of love of excitement and it was something you said earlier on about studying geography and for you her creativity is about adding color and telling the story humanities and the arts in my experience were always viewed as soft subjects you know I was always told at school like yeah that's fine if you're good at that but like you know you need to do a proper subject and it was something that I struggled with so much because there's such a place for storytelling and actually it's deeply rooted in who we are as human beings. Yeah for sure um, I remember I wrote an essay and I think I was just bringing humanities into it and I remember my lecturer giving me feedback and he wrote in quotes, you are not a social science student. And I was just like, why is that an issue that I brought in humanities into this? Like, for me, you can't separate science away from humanities and arts. And it's quite interesting how people think art is a soft subject because art requires research and brainstorming and thinking of methodologies. And it's quite weird how people view it as a subject that is soft and art is a science like when you look at the methods of an artist that's science in my opinion Mm. it's quite bad that that narrative is there and it pushes people away from pursuing those paths as well because 
if you're constantly hearing that these are soft subjects, you're not going to pursue your creative passions and think about the amount of artists we miss out on because they are pressured Mm. to take the sciences. Um, It's quite sad, but hopefully people see the importance of it, especially during the pandemic where the world shut down. We all literally turned to art (laughs) to save us. How many people started a new side hustle or a new project? Everybody I know was like, oh, I started this thing. And you're like, oh my God, you're actually sick at designing jigsaws. (laughs) Like all these unusual (laughs) things came out of the woodwork. Exactly. For someone listening who has an idea for something that they'd like to bring to life that could either help others or help themselves and positively impact their surroundings, but they don't know where to start, what's your advice for them? Um, So if you live in a city in the UK, just search for volunteering opportunities in your city. So for example, there was a time where I just said, I want to volunteer more and I searched volunteering opportunities in London and lots of stuff came up. I think sometimes we feel like, oh my God, there's nothing out there for us. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure there's people who've already thought of this idea and doing something about it. I'm a huge believer in not reinventing the wheel um, Mm. because I think we fragment our efforts and our impact. So searching for what's already there in your community. Uh, So for instance, if you're into conservation and you want to do more gardening and you want to do like specifically community gardening, search what's already been done in your area uh email your local council if you can't find that happening and they could connect you with people who could be interested in this or people have the capacity and the resources to do this type of work honestly like my main advice is literally just search what's already happened in your area and you're if you're just not satisfied with all of those steps like there's no shame in just starting something yourself like gather a few friends, put out a call out on social media and be like, hey, I'm really interested in starting a project or a campaign on this. Does anyone want to join me? And from there, like the journey will start. I think it's so easy to network and pull people in together. I think the challenge is maintaining it. I think people's mistake when they start stuff is they go full in deep. They're like, let's just create, 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 produce, produce, produce. And it's like, no, take the time out to get to know the people in your networks. Like plan a day where you all go to exhibition together. Um, Plan a day where you like take a walk, go foraging, just an activity where you can get to know each other real easy. There's so many avenues people can take. And I've worked in community engagement since the age of 20 and I'm 26 now, you'd be so surprised what's already out there. And the hardest part sometimes as community engagement officers is when we're trying to get more audiences into a space because people are willing, but unfortunately they just don't have the time. So if you do happen to have the time, please just take the time to see what's already happening in your area. I love that. And that's such a different answer to any of the others that I've had in the two seasons of running artists and residents so far and I think it's such a valid point to actually examine does your idea already exist has somebody already brought this to the table and can you get involved that way Samia I'd like to know what's your big audacious dream and goal 
for your work over the coming years? What would you like to be working on? Who would you like to be working with and connecting with in the coming three to five years? I think my goal is to see people talk more to each other, not at each other. The reason why I'm saying this is because I feel like when people chat on social media, it's very like tit for tat, people are being competitive, no one's actually having productive conversations. And I'm an extrovert, I socialize a lot, and I just meet so many incredible people. And it's just like, wow, you should get connected to this person because you guys can create lots of beautiful things together. Yeah, I just come across lots of people who feel hopeless about the future. So I want to create more spaces for joy and creating incubators where people can grow their hope in society and the communities that they live in. Because, yeah, I guess people feel discouraged and desensitized from what they see on the news. And I think they feel overwhelmed by bad news. So I want people to engage more with their community. And that can mean anything. It could be your community in your local area. It could be a community that you're connected somewhere else. I just want people to be more connected in an authentic way, um, just simply because beautiful things could come out of that. Like, for instance, um, during the pandemic, there's a radio station called No Signal. And it was just a bunch of friends who came together and they created this radio network to broadcast and showcase lots of talented black musicians across the world and that got so many views and attention just because it was just organic and it was authentic and it was a space for joy and I think there's so many ways of creating spaces for joy and I don't want to be the only person doing this because my joy may look different from other people's Mm. joy I want people to be more active and just acting as a community um, because yeah I feel we're losing that or we've lost that I think so that's my dream it's not like big or spectacular but honestly I just want people to have a sense of belonging I think that's a pretty amazing dream and one that you're already working so hard towards I'd love to know what your opinion is you've mentioned the news and kind of the news cycle and social media what is your opinion on kind of the way that we're seeing activists and particularly the narrative around the climate crisis play out on social media. Do you think that it's useful? Do you think that it's the right way to be going about things? What's what's your take on how everyone's communicating about this online? Oh, I don't even know where to start with this one. So what people see on social media and on the news isn't the full story. Um, People need to understand that these movements and groups that you see on the news are supported by hundreds of thousands of other individuals um, who occupy different roles and positions in our society. So, for example, with Extinction Rebellion, which everyone knows, not many people know that there's lots of doctors, lawyers, people of all different kinds of occupations in those movements. And I think the media plays these groups as if oh they're irrational they're Mm -hmm. just you know trying to cause um havoc to the public and it's like one that's kind of half true they don't want to cause havoc to the public they want to inconvenience the government to get their attention and if you study the history of protesting and getting people's rights 
disruption is necessary. You may not agree with that, but when people say, oh, this is really disruptive, it's like, yeah, that's the aim, that's the point. And these activist groups, um, they strategize on how they do these things. And people say, oh, why don't you try the nice way, like writing letters, like talking to your MPs? Like, yeah, I think they've already taken those steps already. They've done that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like they're doing this because those steps haven't exactly worked out. And it's quite annoying because these activists take a lot of effort and time to do these actions but then the media always skews the narrative Mm. of why they're doing this so in britain for example um, i remember when they were blocking roads and it was mainly like elder activists that were doing this and everyone's just like get them off the road like they're blocking ambulances by the way that's a myth they've never blocked the ambulance they were protesting for the right for people to have free insulation in their homes this was for everyone's benefit but then now that a year or two later we've now seen that people's energy bills have gone up skyrocketed and insulate britain was trying to get the government's attention everyone's attention saying hey we need to do something about this because this is going to become a crisis And now we're at a stage where elderly people can't afford to warm up their homes. We're in the crisis. Yeah, exactly. And I remember there was a story about an elderly woman who takes the bus because it was warmer for her to get on the bus than to stay at home. This is the scenario that we've entered. And activists have warned us like on the national level saying, hey, these are the things that are going to happen. Please join our movements to stop this from happening and let's hold the government accountable. Yeah, it's just really frustrating because it's clear that the government has a relationship with the media that we're used to. So it's unfortunate that these narratives keep getting skewed and we're now facing a public order bill which will restrict people's rights to protest. Honestly, it's looking bleak and this is why it's so important as my job to create spaces for joy and hope where I can act as an aid to push people to create change, but also make sure they feel energized and making sure that they feel that they can sustain an action. And I guess my final question to end on, we've talked about so much, but I wondered if there's a problem that you are personally encountering that you would like to either see someone apply creative thinking to solving or that you're looking for spaces that you can join to help with that problem and if we can connect the artists and residents community to to help find some solutions and some answers to that I guess because I'm not trained classically as a creative even though I want to be and that's one of my future goals um I think a problem I encounter is just getting more visuals out there of what the climate crisis actually is and what it looks like. Just because I give so many talks and so many discussions and I think there needs to be more in done in the terms of storytelling and visualizing how severe this issue is going to be. Because I think people get it, but they're not there yet. It will just be great to work with people who are good at illustrating or animating and just communicate the different impacts that will come out of the climate crisis. Because I know the science, 
I know the background, I know the future scenarios that the world is going to face, but let's be honest, me just showing you a couple of graphs is not going to get the job done. So creatives, please reach out if you want to help me on this mission uh, on storytelling the climate crisis. This is a call out for visual designers, art (laughs) directors, creative directors to get in touch with Samia to help share this incredible information. Thank you.